from the top of the Empire State Building. <laughs> Another episode of Dern After Reading. Did you like hit a vape or something? Mm-hmm. Okay. I saw like smoke in the air oh, and I was like, am I having a stroke? <laughs> What's going on? Oh, so hear me out. I was walking down Fifth Avenue this week, minding my own business, and this big, I see this big tall blonde thing just like swoosh through my vision. Was it Dern? And then another swoosh. It was Laura Dern. You know what? She had a big old knife and she sliced my thumb open. Oh! She said, uh, you gotta stop doing this podcast and talking dirt on me, Laura Dern. That's how she said it. It was very weird. She was so tall, she wore like a duster. And uh, yeah, I had to get eight stitches at the urgent care on Fifth Avenue. You know, the one. Yeah. Right next to the other thing. <laughs> um, yeah, Dern Army, they're after us. We gotta fight back. Yeah, we need to start the Dern Resistance. Stand this is what we get for by. saying she was dead. <laughs> I shouldn't have done that. She's it's coming after us. I've only had bad luck since then, and I have to believe it was all orchestrated by Laura Dern. Yeah. Good. It's good to have enemies. <laughs> it means they're important. It's true. Laura Dern, perhaps some sort of demigod... Spiritual a witch. Demi more, if you will. Demi more. <laughs> so yeah, what's what's up with you, Max? Um. Well, I I just got a new job. I'm pretty mm. stoked about that. You uh, quit quit your job at the dick sucking factory. No, oh no, I'm I'm still moonlighting. Ah, okay. Um, if anyone needs help with Salesforce administration, please reach out to <laughs> to Max, care of Dern After Reading. I'm sure the offers are going to flood in. <laughs> well, um, I sliced my thumb open at work, and uh, that's pretty much been my week. Yep, that's yeah. that's definitely a week-long that, endeavor. That, that was all a, a clever gaffe, by the way, listeners. I did not get attacked by Laura Dern. I simply... Did a slicey slice. I did a fucky-wucky on my thumb. And here we are. Sure. So yeah, let me pull up the Dern Instagram, see if anything is new. Um, no, nothing new. Looks like she has a dog and another dog that just had surgery. That's that's all we got for Dern dogs. Dern dog week. Dern dog week. Long Dern dog week. Yeah, I saw some, like... I'll get on my Google News, like, mm-hmm. just clickbait Laura Dern articles. <laughs> and I don't bother reading them because they're always like, you'll never believe what Dern hated most about working on Big Little Lies. And then you read it. And it's like, she hated that it ended because she had such a good friendship. I don't like that at all. No. Let's see if there's any good clickbaity things. <laughs> Let Laura Dern speak to you calmly of serial killers. How? Click know. that one. That's, it's... It might not be bait. Let's oh, do it. Let's see. Documentary premiere on HBO at 9 p.m. four weeks ago. <laughs> this... <laughs> Crazy, not insane. That's what it's called. Oh, what the 487th the... film from documentarian Alex Gibney. 487 documentaries. Yeah, so you know what they always say, 487th, that's the one. <laughs> that's really a sophomore slump in the mid-300s, but... <laughs> oh, man. Pulled through. That is prolific. And he finally got Dern. That was his mission the whole time. Yep. I want that. Do, are you saying we need to do 400 
40, 51 more episodes before we, in fact, can get Dern. Yes. Because I'll do it. You know, I think it's not unrealistic that we could get Laura Dern. We've said that before. I mean, we've not really tried. We've made zero effort. Maybe, maybe this will be the, maybe this is it. We're at, what, 32 episodes now. That's episodes. So, yeah. She has to do Ooh. it, bless you. Good. If we hit triple digits, she has to. I mean, we've had a 512 listens over the course of this show. That's that's, that's more listens than several. documentaries that guy. That's more people than I have made. kissed on the mouth this year. That's for sure. Substantially. Yeah, I've kissed like one person on the mouth this year. Oh. It's fine, it's COVID. <laughs> I, I miss kissing the homies, but you know... I'd rather not get sick. So. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get back to kissing the homies very soon. Oh, boy. So what's this show? What is it? Uh, Dern After something? Dern After Dark. Ooh. <laughs> An erotic look. Oh, yeah. By the way, we're switching formats at New Year's Eve. We're going to go to Dern After Dark. It's just going to be like softcore stuff. <laughs> erotic tales of Laura Dern. Um, Send in your penthouse forum. Care of Laura Dern. (laughs) I'm Max, and this is Nick um, here at Dern After Reading. We watch everything Laura Dern has ever made, will ever make, in perpetuity. Yes. And we talk about it. We sure do. Why Laura Dern? (sighs) Why not? I'm resigned to the fact that this is just a thing I have to do now. Like, there's no backing out. We both know it. Exactly. It's like a suicide pact, but... (laughs) I just can't leave. We're in it now. We are. Oh, it's gonna be. It's gonna be like. It's gonna be so weird when we have to do something else. Cause like we're next year. Believe it or not, listeners, we are going to run out of Laura Dern properties, and they are going to be slowly trickling in as we are in a current pandemic. So, yeah. You have any ideas or things you want to hear? Write us. We'll do. Hell, it. you could be on the show. Just make it as arbitrary as possible. That's sort of our benchmark. That's what we should do. Just. <laughs> A different format, a different shit every time. Yep. I mean, we've done it before. Stephen King week. That didn't make any sense. That's true. Yeah. We watch weird movies on our birthdays. We can do whatever we want, Max. That's true. We get to this... make the rules. Dern doesn't own us. Exactly. We didn't sign that contract yet. <laughs> we People don't care if this is good. They just care that it's here. <laughs> like, it's an hour. That is our ethos. Yeah. We're just here to make the content. Flood the airwaves with our, our, uh, I almost said ebony voices, and then I realized that is That's not subtly racist and also not the word. Our, not the word at all. Our, our, uh, pleasing baritones. Nor our voices ebony. <laughs> Ivory voices? Is that, I mean, better, but not good. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's Dern, baby. Dern. Durning down the house. That would have been a good name for this podcast. Yep. Oh, well. <laughs> Next time. So, Max, I've heard you watched a big Dern this week. Oh, I did. I heard you didn't like it. I, the, the, I the, did. The girls down in the no. typing pool told me as I came in this morning <laughs> from the rain. Oh, boy, Max is, Max is sing. What is it? He's uh, singing a song. What? <laughs> you know the pitch in a tent? That's mm, I don't, oh, that's a different. That's one. a boner. No, like um, in the Green Mile, like um, when they the, the botched execution happens and the warden comes down and he's like, like, Avery is, maybe I'm thinking of something else. You know, 
it, it there's something about a song, but I'm also thinking about It's a Wonderful Life, where he says, oh, you could get that old factory for a song. Yep. <laughs> Turns out people in olden times said dumb things. <laughs> I like the getting for a song one. No, I really... Like it's, I, it's a Wonderful Life is my favorite movie, and I stand I, by it. I've there. never seen it. And never will. It's just to bother my co I literally watched it a hundred feet from your house three days ago. I should have invited you. That was you in the backyard? What? <laughs> I was in your backyard watching it on my phone. Huddled sh- in the shivering. cold. Shivering. And I wasn't letting you in. And then, I'm a stingy, miserly and person. Then I looked up and I saw the specter of death telling me, go to sleep. You won't know <laughs> hunger anymore. And I did. Yeah. Now, now I'm a ghost. Well. Anyway. So Nick has answered the age-old questions. Can ghosts slice their thumb? They can, it turns out. Yeah, um, little advice for the listener. Um, I don't know where to start with this. If you're cutting jalapenos, don't cut your thumb. Um, If the knife sharpening guy shows up in the morning and gives you sharp knives, don't use them at all. Oh, it was like... It literally, the morning started, me and my coworker got in, it was like 9 a.m., and this dude with a plastic tray just walked into the back door of the kitchen, and he looked like like a cogny little chimney sweep man, and he's like got your knives and i was like what i didn't even know that's how i didn't know apparently once a week they take our old knives and give us new knives and they sharpen them it's nice it, it's nice i didn't know that's how it worked and uh, i thought we did it our i've been sharpening the knives apparently for no reason um but yeah he gave us knives and i was like thanks and i should have known like oh i'm gonna cut myself later on one of those but yeah so if you want to use a knife the lesson here use a dull knife there yes much a, safer use a dull knife um learn how to use a knife well and uh, get a cl- gloves you can't cut through. Because if I was wearing one of those, I'd be fine right now. Yeah, do they have gloves with, like, steel, like steel-toed boots, but gloves? I mean, they make, like, basically, like, gloves that are chainmail in the fact that they are, like, actual, like, chainmail. And then they make, like, knife gloves that are more, like, flexible fabric, but they're gotcha. anti-cut. Yeah. And uh, I'm getting a pair now because I don't want to do this again. This yeah. Sucks. It's, uh, it's not good. It doesn't look fun. Nick Nick's thumb is like comically bandaged up. It's it's a big bandage, and it look it doesn't look good underneath. I believe that, and I'm sure it'll be fine. But like you know, there's a little party. Like I'm gonna get an infection and yeah, die. Yeah, might not be fine. Thumb's gonna fall off. I don't know. Nick has gangrene. I have to go to work tomorrow. I don't know how that's gonna go. Tetanus. Yeah. Maybe no. the tetanus will battle I, out the gangrene. I, I got a tetanus shot, and my arm is still sore. So. And I don't really like shots, but when you get a shot after you get your thumb eviscerated and then uh, stitched up by a woman who gave you Novocaine poorly, um, the shot's nothing. What, how, how is Novocaine poorly applied? Um, I would... <laughs> wrong thumb? <laughs> yeah, she did the wrong thumb. She started selling the wrong thumb, and I was like, what are you doing, lady? No, she was very nice. She was like a yoga older woman with like short white hair. And she just kept talking. And sometime in... She was a little... Like, she was poking around my thumb and being like, wow, it looks like you kind of sliced and then sliced back like you wrapped around. And I was like, you can just fix it. You don't <laughs> have to explain to me how well I cut my thumb. Um, she just, she told me afterwards there was so much blood that she just couldn't see where she was sticking me with the needle, yep. which stung, by the way. So yeah, um, she just was jabbing me with a needle and not really getting the good bits. And I just... Did she sneak a little COVID vaccine in there for you? No, not yet. Although they did arrive today, I've been told, yeah. in Philadelphia. There's a thousand-some doses they're going to begin administering on Wednesday. 
I'm going to be first in line. I'm going to get four of them. <laughs> four vaccines. Yep. COVID-19, 20, exactly. 21, 22. I, mean, I, I usually get a flu shot every week just for fun. <laughs> No. What are they going to do? Stop keeps me, me busy. <laughs> keeps me honest. <laughs> a, a nice, like, dose of botulism to keep me going. <laughs> um, I have a terrible movie to talk about. Oh, good. I almost forgot. Yep. Me too. Um, so, Wilson. Will Smith? <laughs> Will Smith. Will Smith. 2017. Will Smith. Wilson. Will Smith. Not the volleyball. Damn. Not, not the actor, not Will Smith. Not the uh, guy from Home Improvements. Oh, that would have been better. Yeah. I would much prefer... That's a, a great sort of comparison here, because that Wilson is um, a pithy, delightful, like, at times perhaps reclusive or antisocial by virtue of the fact that he remains behind the fence... And obscures himself, so he is perhaps a misanthrope in his own way, um, but infinitely more tolerable than this film's titular Wilson, who is played by Woody Harrelson. Mm, Woody. 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 Fun Coincidentally, fact. Tim Allen voices a animated cowboy named Woody. Named Woody. There Full circle. Full circle. Six degrees. Six degrees of Woody Harrelson. <laughs> Will Smith. Woody Smith. Um, so, fun fact about Woody Harrelson. I think this week we should just try to distract each other as much as possible. I can tell. Go ahead. No, go you, for go it. Ahead. I got, well, give me the fun it. fact. No, you said fun fact. Oh, fun fact. <laughs> Max, that was your Oh, I've distracted myself. My God. Um, Woody Harrelson in this film drives a Woody. And it was the, ah, the, the thing I liked uh, most about this that's, movie. That's fun. I like that. I like to imagine he probably has one. Like yeah. himself. That was his car. Just for grins. Um, so, we meet Woody Harrelson. We get this voiceover narration from him. And it's talking about the, the wonders of life. And it's... Um, how we will all like find happiness and meaning and good and he's saying it and it feels very earnest and then the the voiceover goes like and that's all total bullshit it's like oh wilson freeze frame you see that cool guy there that's me i'm about to tell you about the craziest summer of my life so woody harrelson is wilson and he's this he's he's a ranting crazy person and it might be, this might be kind of my own fault that I'm like, I don't like confrontation. I perhaps try to people please to a fault. I don't like speaking up, like at risk of being, of like saying something inconsiderate or rude. I mean, you yell at me like a servant girl off mic, but go ahead. Keep talking. Oh, <laughs> uh, you, you humble me. I do. <laughs> But, and so maybe part of the reason I, I did not care for this movie is that Wilson is the antithesis of that. He's the guy who will say what's on his mind, and it makes me so deeply uncomfortable every time he does. Um, and it, like, it's just a movie that's just cringe, cringe throughout. Ooh, I don't like that. Yeah, so we've got, like... So he just has these rants. Here's one from the beginning to sort of paint a picture. 
Modern civilization is a scam, a sad, pointless charade built on lies. You have to have the courage to go your own way. Happiness is hard to come by. Sure as hell aren't going to find it. Some gadget tapping on some stupid box while the real shit is happening all around you, dumbass. Um, <laughs> and, like, there's some truth there. A little. A little. But this is the type of thing that Woody Harrelson just feels appropriate to say to a stranger completely unsolicited. Um, I mean, you could also just spend, like, two and a half minutes listening to Go Your Own Way by Fleetwood Mac. Is that how long this song is? I don't know. I was just looking up the name to make sure I didn't get it wrong. But yeah, you could just do that instead of watching this movie. Yeah. That's what I'm getting from this. You can do a lot of And you of wouldn't have to see Woody Harrelson at all. Instead of watching this movie. Yeah, you could cut your um, thumb off. So he, so that quote comes from when there's, he's like walking, there's like a cafe with tables outside and there's a guy sitting with a laptop, like doing work uh, at a little table with two chairs. And he sits, he's like, Hey man, can I sit here? And he's sort of like, uh, this is like, um, I'm working. He sort of like tries to brush him off, but Wilson just sits down and starts yabbering and just ranting unsolicited at this guy and sort of mocking him for using a laptop. <laughs> um, he uh, He's deeply self-centered. Love that. We learn he's got one friend who... His friend and his friend's wife, who is not Wilson's friend because she can't stand him, um, are moving away because he got a new job in St. Louis and he and Wilson <laughs> makes it all about himself. He's like, oh, smart. Get out early from our friendship so you don't have to drive me to the hospital when I'm sick and dying. Jeez. And they're like, this has nothing to do with you. Yeah, so he's intentionally insufferable. Love it. Which is, it's hard to, you know, make a compelling movie, movie around that. Some movies do. This one, I would argue, does not. Uh, but let's, let's explore why and how. So he's got a wire fox terrier named Pepper. Mm -hmm. A wire fox terrier, the best one I know, near and dear to my heart, would be Snowy from the classic Belgian comic strip Tintin. Ah. Yes. I love a Tintin. Go read some Tintin. That's what you could do instead of this. Learn French. Read some Tintin. I'll give you a long list of things you could do instead of seeing this. You could write, watch any other Laura Dern film. Anything else Judy Greer was in. Watch some Curb Your Enthusiasm if you want the Cheryl Hines. Um, see the Americans for Margot Martindale and like, I don't know, Zombieland. No, Zombieland sucked. Something with Natural Born Killers for Woody Harrelson. You get all these wonderful people, but it's not a terrible movie. Um, I mean, it's kind of an upsetting fact that some movies are just paychecks for people. <laughs> This didn't feel, this felt like it was trying pretty hard. Like, it didn't want to be a paycheck. This feels like a movie where they, you get the feeling they were really satisfied with what they were doing. Like, they were doing something special. I mean, Woody Harrelson needed to buy a week worth of vegan groceries, so that's what this movie paid for. <laughs> <laughs> he got one bad brown bag from Whole Foods. Um, this movie, it, it wants to sort of construct this very compelling story but it's really just sort of a series of like punchlines. it's at times very funny because woody harrelson's such a prick and very good at it like his performance is very solid um but the 
there's no connect the connectivity is poor but i'm getting ahead of myself so he finds out that his dog has terminal cancer bummer and he no it's not a bummer because we never meet his dad and that never becomes relevant again i thought you said dog oh no his dad yeah i was like no not pepper no, but he drops Pepper off um, with with the dog sitter, who is Judy Greer. Nice. Who is America's you know, sweetheart? W- she she's Max's sweetheart. Oh. I have the biggest crush in the world you do, on Judy Greer. You do have that big poster of her right above your bed. I wish. By I above, did. I mean on the ceiling. It's oh a little man, weird. I would. I'd want like if I could if I could design the perfect Judy Greer poster it would be her character in Jawbreaker Ooh. cut down the middle so on the left would be Fern Mayo the like the nerdy weird one and then on the right would be like the cool hottie they turn her into but split down the middle and like embodying both of them nice and I would make out with that poster both sides of it a lot nice um yeah I well, I love like Judy Greer now is sort of a willowy, somewhat older, though frankly she is ageless. Um, she he drops off the dog. They seem flirtatious. It's hard to know what their relationship is, but what we glean is that she's just the dog sitter. Um, so he's like, I gotta go out of town. Here's the dog. I've gotta go back to my hometown. Then he he gets on the train. And there's just an empty train car, except there's one businessman, just, you know, suit, headphones, like, dozing off in his chair. Like, you know, you can picture it. We've all been there. As one does. We know this man. Um, So, Wilson sits right next to him. (laughs) And, again, this guy has his eyes closed and headphones in. And he taps him on the shoulder. Oh, my God. And he's like, oh, where you headed, bro? And the guy will pose him. I hate this guy. Brutal. And then he explains, like, he ropes the guy into a conversation he doesn't want to have. But it's just Wilson ranting against, like, how corporate America is bullshit. And he's like, in 40 years, you're going to be like, what the hell is he doing with my life? And just, like, harassing this man for having the audacity to just, like, be there and have a job um so he goes home goes back to his hometown we glean through all this he is a lonely man and i'd be lonely too if i were this insufferable and so he goes back to see his old friend olson and this is a nice touch that his name's it's wilson and olson (laughs) and olson is like angrily railing against the state of the world in like a like a mad way where Woody Harrelson's kind of like he's doing it in a like I have all the right answers kind of way and I recognize how things could be good because I'm smart and brilliant and good and everyone else is dumb but Olsen's just like angry (laughs) Wilson goes I forgot what a toxic soul-crushing asshole you are like he does not see that he is, in fact, this same exact person. Um, which is interesting, right? They do these things where the movie knows how repulsive he is, but it doesn't do a good enough job of justifying, I think, following him around for two hours. Um, he, This movie did make me laugh quite a bit now that I'm reviewing this. He, he helps a woman 
in a grocery store, like, get something off a top shelf. And he sees in that some deep, meaningful connection. And so, after he leaves, he intentionally (laughs) rear-ends her. (laughs) He drives into her car just to exchange information and, like, very obviously trying to get a date out of this. And she is rightfully repulsed by this. Um, and drives away. Good. Yeah. Oh, wow. But there is a, an onlooker by the name of Margot Martindale who sees this. Margo Esteemed Martindale. character actress Margot Martindale. Um, do you know Margot Martindale? She's, she is an I absolute treasure. I do. I'm typing her name in right now. You'll know her. Listeners, do the same. You know her. Margot Martindale. Oh, her. She was in a movie I just watched. Uncle Frank, I talked about last week. She plays one of the aunts. Or the mom, rather. She's always great. Of course she was great. She's just a nice old Southern woman. Oh, Southern. Interesting. Mm -hmm. She can do it all. She really can. So, she's like, she sees this. She's like, you know, I think it'd be pretty sweet if a guy tried to do that with me. (laughs) And then it cuts to them (laughs) at like a diner eating like ice cream and milkshakes like uh, on the sort of awkward date the two of them and it's he like they're talking about their struggles and loneliness and he's like i don't care so much for looks like to sort of reassure her that he's interested which is such a mean fucking thing to say (laughs) um she is an avid yelper and like she's glued to her phone and it's talking about, like, how many stars this has on Yelp. And if she's like, oh, I'm addicted. Like, I can't get enough. And he's like, I don't understand technology. Blech. Um, And then he gets talking about his ex-wife. Oh, here we go. His ex-wife, who, for no reason, up and left him when everything was perfect. And already you're like, I bet you had a damn good reason. <laughs> I, I know suck. enough about you now. Yeah. Um. She- she she was pregnant and she she ran took off and had an abortion. She moved to LA for no reason. And so Margot Martindale, being the the older tech junkie that she is, um Googles her his ex-wife and can't find her but finds her sister. He's like, that's her sister. Oh my gosh, yeah. So now he's got this lead. We never see Margot Martindale again, which is a cry and shame. Um, I mean, she's, she has yelping to do. She can't be in this it's movie. It's true, it's true. But don't tease us like that. Don't give us like six minutes of, of my girl Midge Martindale. And so Wilson gets in touch with his sister. He calls her and learns quite a bit about his ex-wife, Pippi. Apparently, she is a drug-addicted hooker. Um, hmm. And so I mean, he... We, we all moved to L.A. with different dreams. Yeah. <laughs> so apparently that's hers. That's where she found herself. And he goes to, like, an, a, a seedy area where there are, you know, prostitutes on the street. And he goes up to one of them and he's got a framed picture of his ex-wife who we see uh, um 
we notice then for the first time is Laura Dern. Laura Dern, my word. Our, our heroine. She's in this movie? She is, unfortunately. Our heroine heroine. I wish she wasn't. <laughs> um, our heroine heroine, yes. So he's talking to this this prostitute and he's like, have you seen her? No. Blah, blah, blah. And she's like, look, I can't help you, honey. Like, I, I don't know her. <laughs> he goes, all right. In that case, I'll take a blowjob then. <laughs> well, you know, if you're at the store, you feel yeah, bad exactly. if you leave not buying something. Exactly. Support your local business. Exactly. Support a small business. So then he finds out that she works at a restaurant. She She's waiting tables. Is it a, is it a Shoney's? It Denny's? <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> so he goes to the, the restaurant and he's asking a woman work there. He learns she's, he's like, I'm looking for this woman, Pippi. Look, she's fallen, apparently she works here. She's fallen on hard times and... So he goes to the restaurant and he's talking to this woman says, um, you know, have, have you seen, I'm looking, looking for a woman who goes by Pippi. Um, she, she is, she's fallen on hard times. She's whoring herself out for drug money. Like she's an absolute wreck. And apparently she works here. That's, I feel like that's a, not a good thing. No, it's a horrible. <laughs> to say to an employer. <laughs> and so the woman looks at the picture. She's like, oh, that's Lynn. And she's like, Lynn, come over here. And it's Laura Dern. <laughs> she's rightfully like, how could you say that? Like, why would you tell people that you monster? <laughs> um, Laura Dern is great and i love her character in this she's sort of like frazzled hair she's sort of she looks like having worked in restaurants she looks like a server who like this would be like have a drug problem um like trying to get it together trying to have this job but she's clearly like sort of still angry and troubled in her own ways and so they're sitting and talking and she's like really trying to keep him at distance but he has this sort of charm about him even though he says that it's like man i thought you'd be some nasty skanky snaggletooth sore infested hoe but look at you it's like you came through the gauntlet without a scratch (laughs) what a charmer he is and she's like you could tell she's like drawn to him in spite of herself. Ooh, like God. she, she's lonely, and he's lonely. And he, they get drunk together, which she was not supposed to do because she was trying to be sober. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like talking her up. He's saying these really sweet things, like Pippi, you were the only person who ever bothered to get to know the real me. Uh, but you could tell it's out of just like his own loneliness and horniness. Um, but she like gives him a hug and then cut to them laying in bed together post coitus. And you're sort of like, man, he doesn't deserve this. He doesn't deserve any of this. Um, and he says, you know, and this gets at his misguided beliefs. If you had, if you had just had the baby, it would have forced us to grow up. Like, no, that's not how it works. Don't have a baby to make your life better. Make your life better, then have the baby. But she says, I did have the baby. What? 
what? Yeah. So that's now the the thrust of the 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 next chapter, the next act in the film. Um, Wilson gets so excited. We have a baby. We have a child. He's thrilled at this news, and he gets a PI to track the daughter down. She's a teenager living somewhere. Who fucking cares? And. So he goes back to the restaurant, and while she's, like, in the weeds, frazzled, having tables complain, like, rushing around, he just interrupts and, like, bombards her with the news that he found their child that she gave up for adoption, like, 14 years earlier. And he's making this huge scene. You worry that, like, she's gonna get fired on the spot for this. Um, She's super stressed. She's, like, blatantly mad at him for doing this. And during all this, he's like, I never stopped loving you, Pippi. And she just, like, completely matter-of-factly says, I stopped loving you. (laughs) (laughs) Good Um, for her. Yeah. So so now they decide, and she seems to tag along again out of sort of loneliness and, like, not knowing what else to do with herself, I guess. Um, They, like, stalk his daughter. (laughs) From her house, leaving her house, like a a sort of suburbs McMansion, boring, sort of stereotypical life, suburbs life. Just the kind of person that would adopt a child. (laughs) The nerve. (laughs) And I've seen Juno, I know how it works. (laughs) They, They follow her to the local mall where she hangs out by herself. And she she's a heavy set teenager, and she gets bullied Aww. for her weight by some some mean ne'er do wells at the shopping mall. And Wilson sees this and like attacks them and like grabs the kid and threatens to beat the shit out of him. Oh god! And then then now it's him and Dern and their daughter talking in the food court at the mall. She's like unnerved and uncomfortable by this whole situation rightfully so oh yeah no that's i wouldn't like to be in her shoes (laughs) and and wilson charmer that he is says you may be wondering about the family resemblance and he points at darren he goes but she used to be a real hippo jesus um he's like over the moon he he's like oh my god i have a daughter and she's like uninterested little freaked out and be a general weirdo and she she says at one point because she's clearly like a socially awkward she's sort of like gothy and brooding and angsty and after hearing him rant she goes i always wondered how i got like this (laughs) um so then for no explicable reason i guess out of loneliness and not feeling connected to her own parents she, like, agrees to secretly, like, go hang out with her two parents, with Ooh. Wilson and Dern. Yeah, which I don't like. Ooh, no. I don't like this. Um, they, uh, and eventually they make it, they take a trip to L.A. Ooh. to see Pippi's sister, who was the one who told Wilson on the phone that Pippi was a drug-addicted prostitute and her life's in shambles. Um, and Pippi wants to go to basically be like, look, I have a kid, I'm doing well, rub it in in her sister's face. 
And her sister, who is Cheryl Hines, hmm. a.k.a. Larry David's mega hot wife on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Um, and she, her, she and her family are like the perfect textbook, well-off, beautiful home, proper kids and, you know, the boys going off to a good school and blah, blah, blah. And Wilson in this scene is at his most insufferable at the dinner table. He's because he thinks he's now has all this parenting wisdom because he found and stalked his (laughs) daughter that was given up for adoption by his wife who left them. So he's trying to like just impose his batshit wisdom on everybody. He's, like, mocking the kids' dreams of, like, having a nice career and things like that. It, ugh. Yes. It's the most this painful. stresses me out. Yeah. And, um, so Pippi's sister susses out that this girl's parents, she overhears the girl talking to her friend, that her parents don't even know where she is or that she's with these people and so she calls her sister out for she's like you've kidnapped this child like what the fuck you thought you pretending you have your life together like you don't have anything together and Dern just attacks her just like lunges across the kitchen counter like throws her to the ground and just gets on top and starts wailing on her she just snaps and fucking loses it um they get arrested. Good. And we fast we we flash to Wilson is has now been sentenced to prison for three years for kidnapping and endangering the welfare of a child. And you're like, fucking good, alright. Like this guy deserves all of this. Um, but I'm still not interested in continuing to follow him, but here we are. I was about to say, is that the end, or are we... No. Oh, there's more. It felt like it could be. I wish it had been. Um, <laughs> the best part in prison, he's he's sitting next to a guy with a face, with a swastika tattoo <laughs> on his face. Um, and he's like, he's in the cafeteria, he's like, yeah, that's, that's quite the tattoo you got there. <laughs> the guy looks at him like, what'd you say? He's like... It's like the ultimate argument ender. Like, no, I don't want your fucking job. I want to destroy your entire society. <laughs> and he, like, thinks he's, like, being buddy-buddy with this guy. Oh. The guy just beats the shit out of him. <laughs> Which is, like, the one bit of sweet catharsis we get. Um, he starts reading the Bible with his cellmate. Um, and you see, like, it's sort of montage and perhaps he's, like, trying to, like rehabilitate or transform in some completely unearned way and Dern comes to visit and now she looks her hair's a little cleaner she's got a nice sweater on and it like she looks like she's got it together a bit nice. and he's like I tried contacting you for years and she and she regrets she's like I'm sorry I didn't defend you at the trial um, and she says, I have to thank you, Wilson. You believed in me when nobody else did. And I feel like I'm ready for an actual relationship. And his, he's sort of, his eyes light up because he's a fucking idiot. <laughs> and she goes, which is why my sponsor, Tucker, and I are moving to Australia. 
And it's like, oh, good. Like, I, I feared so much that she would, like, just go back to him for, like, no reason and wait it out and be like, I do love you despite you just sucking completely in every which way. Um, and so he's a little heartbroken by that. But we get a montage of icicles melting on a basketball hoop to learn that time has passed. As one does in a film. Yes. Um, he walks out of prison. They're sort of, you know, up, up, upbeat sort of soaring violin strings suggesting sort of new purpose and spring. And now he's on a bus having left prison. And he interrupts some kid with headphones. And... He's like, hey, what's going on in the world? Bothering this kid. He's like, oh, nothing. And uh, Wilson pulls out a little pocket Bible. He's like, have you heard the good news? Oh, no. (laughs) Then he goes, and that's what I thought. I was like, oh, no, no, no. And he goes, I'm just fucking with you. Jesus doesn't give a shit. And he throws the Bible. He's like, I just got out of prison. He's like, I'm not going to slice your throat for a pack of smokes or nothing. I'm done with that life. (laughs) But he's still the same, just insufferable man. I love that as an icebreaker. Like, hey, what's going on in the world? Just got out of the out of the clink. <laughs> um, then he goes to Judy Greer's, who is the dog sitter, to pick up his dog. <laughs> like it's been like a weekend. And she's like, Wilson, what the hell? Like your dog died years ago. <laughs> like I tried to track you down. Like I heard you were in prison. <laughs> um, they have a little funeral for Pepper the dog, and then and then they're like bond. They're flirtatious, and then it's like they're maybe developing a relationship, and she's like lamenting some ex where it didn't work out and he goes you know those guys who come off all emotional and caring they're bad news you deserve to be treated with respect and it's like he is completely blind to the fact that he is exactly that like he's the one who's trying to be caring and so completely obviously doesn't give a shit and is completely selfish um his now he's sleeping with Judy Greer. It seems that's perhaps escalated. And his daughter calls him um, to let him know, like, hey, I thought you should know. I'm having a kid. I'm like a pregnant teen and I'm having a kid. He's like, oh, my God, that's great. Like, I'm, I'm going to move to Portland and help you raise the kid. I'm a granddaddy. Yay. And she's like, no, don't move here. <laughs> Remember how you're a felon? <laughs> she's like, absolutely not. Um, and he shows up at her parents' house and he wants, she's like, no, I want nothing to do with you. And he shows up at her parents' house with a scrapbook and he's like on the lawn and the dad comes out. He's like, I'm going to call the fucking cop. Like, what are you doing here? Like, you already went to prison for three years. Like, stop stalking us. Um, and... Wilson says, like, I just want you to know, like, I think you've done such a good job raising your kids. And so the dad, like, decide he hangs up on the cops. He's like, false alarm, I guess. Like, he's like, all right, well, he said a nice thing about my family. <laughs> um, but his daughter doesn't want him to move to Portland. And then we see he and Judy Greer 
Oh, and Judy Greer doesn't want him to move to Portland. She's like, I don't want you to move. Like, we're, we're starting a new thing, a nice thing here. And it ends with they watch, they meet the, the new grandbaby on, on Zoom or something. Apparently that was a thing in 2017. Who knew? I had never heard of Zoom until no, not a this once. madness. Um, so I guess, like, he became nominally better by, like, respecting his daughter's wish to not move to Portland. And the end. Great. <laughs> I'm glad we followed this piece of shit for a couple hours. Ugh. Sorry. Wow. Yeah, he doesn't seem redeemable at all yeah they just kind of yeah hmm i don't know about that one no i do it sucks i mean i mean i do know but you know um a couple notes on on it itself that it was based on a graphic novel by daniel close or daniel Klaus, who's uh best known perhaps for ghost world which if you want a much better sort of at times uncomfortable awkward characters comic book adaptation go watch ghost world movie's great young scar joe Mm. steve buscemi um and notably this movie was originally supposed to be directed by alexander payne um and this feels like it could have been one of his better movies like like an about schmidt um or an election like it feels like you know this was just the wrong adaptation of Something that could have been, like, it was funny, but I think it it wasn't, it tried to be sentimental when it wasn't, none of it was, like, fair, it didn't, it didn't, like, it led in a direction that, like, didn't make, wasn't logical, um, but notably Alexander Payne, of course, I know you may remember from this podcast for directing the horrible, horrible film, Downsizing, oh. which was at least more fun than this to bash. True. Um, there was more there. So I wish Alexander Payne had done this, one, in hopes that it would have been a better movie, or at least two, in hopes that it would have been more fun to hate. Uh, but he didn't, so fuck you, Alexander Payne. <laughs> Don't watch this movie. This week's stance on Dern After Reading. And it, it has like it has like a forty five on Rotten Tomatoes. It was like pretty good. I read some of the good ones, and they just seem to like eat up the sentimentality, I guess. But most were like, yeah, this is he sucks. This sucks. Dern was great though. What did I learn about Dern? She could suck dick for drugs and turn her life around, and that's uh, a real treat. And that's that's something we can all really look at with a. Look. Yeah. I don't know where I was going. Life's lessons. Yeah, just you know, you can always turn it around. Unless you're Wilson. Unless you're in Oh yeah. You can always turn it around. If you're a woman, you can always improve (laughs) your life. If you're a man, um you can always turn around if you're willing to reflect honestly about who you are as a person. If you can't do that, you're gonna be an insufferable piece of shit for life, named Wilson. Please, oh, please tell me anything else. Make make me make me stop thinking about this film. Well, I drank a pretty pretty strong Vietnamese coffee, and I am just buzzing right now. So, let's pull up the movies I watched this week. See if there's anything worth noting. Um, of course, I watched It's a Wonderful Life again. Great film. Um, I think this time I really noticed how bonkers it is as a film. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, it's just, it's great. Like, <laughs> it exists in this small upstate New York town and in, like, the 30s through 40s, and it's just such a bonkers story. And, like, it implies that heaven is just outer space and angels are, like, stars. And that, oh, there's just so much going on. And, like, there's a few numbers they mention specifically, like... At one point, he when he's, like, struggling and he has a few kids and he's living in kind of, like, a rundown house with his wife, he mentions that he's making $45 a week. And, like, the, he's talking to the richest man in town who's trying to offer him a job so he can basically, like, wipe out the company that he works for, the building and loan, that helps people build houses. Where the richest man in town, Mr. Potter, basically runs all the slums. And he doesn't want people to be building houses and living on their own because he doesn't profit from that. And... He basically says, like, what What do you make, Jimmy Stewart, $40 a week? And Jimmy Stewart says 45 And I looked it up with an inflation calculator. That man was making over $900 a week in today money. And he's like, hard times? I get, like, it, it comes off as he's, I mean, he seems fine, you know. He definitely seems to be struggling a little. But I don't, if I was making $900 a week, I'd be drinking champagne and caviar with a monocle. Yeah. That's bonkers money. I'd get a large Vietnamese iced coffee. That is true. Um, and yeah, and later, um, Uncle Billy loses money. Like, he loses $8,000 at the time. And that's basically what spurs the entire, like, suicide plot. And then, like, the angel coming and showing him what life would be like if he had never been born. And I inflation calculated that sum. And it came out to about $150,000. And I would kill myself over that. Yeah. Like, if, if that was missing and on my head, I'd be like, oh, wow. I guess I'm worth more dead than a lot. Hey, there you go. And then, yeah. That's the spirit. Should have let that thumb bleed out. I should have. I will get, when we talk about my movie, I will mention how much I bled. It was not (laughs) unsubstantial. Aside from that, you know, nothing crazy. Um, Need to finish some books so I can start some new books. Uh, Watched Ghosts of Girlfriends Past. What is that? It is. Is that a Hallmark? No, it is a Matthew McConaughey film from, like, I'm going to say the late 2000s, maybe, like, early 2010s, and it is very good. Really? It's an adaptation, of course, of, like, the Christmas Carol idea, and it's a man who's basically, like, just been a misogynistic pig his whole life, and he just has boinked a bunch of women, and he'd never loved, he doesn't believe in love. And then his uncle, who taught him his womanizing ways, basically comes to him and says, he's like, Dutch? You're going to learn today. You're going to be visited by three ghosts of women. And then it happens. It's a fun movie. You know, it's a good yeah. time. He's he's a lovable dick. And then by yeah. the end, he's better. And he, like, saves the day. It's it's a good one to check out. He is America's favorite poon hound. He is. And, you know, it's nice to see a side of him where, like, he improves. He gets better. And not just a scraggly detective or... A man with fake AIDS <laughs> who hates gay people, yeah. which is not the real but story. But he saved them. He did. And in real life, that man was actually bisexual. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. No, yeah. They like... That was the one... They like straighted him up for oh, the movie. Oh, no. And also, um, the other what's-his-face guy played a trans person, and that was Jared weird. Leto. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I I like... The only pass I gave that movie was that I... I knew it was, like, based on a true story, and I was like, all right, well, it's an interesting story to tell. Like, maybe make movies about gay people, like, that don't have straight heroes. But now to learn that that man wasn't even straight makes me angry. Yeah, like, I feel like at the time I watched and I didn't know anything about it, and I was, like, younger, and I was like, this is a cool movie. And then I got older, and I learned, and I was like, oh, man. I did watch another movie 
which did not have a downside aside from the fact that the Weinstein brothers are associated with it. Um, Frida. I finally watched Frida Kahlo. Oh, I do like the it. Amazingly beautiful Salma Hayek. Mm-hmm. Um, fantastic. I'd never seen it before. It's a very good story of an artist. It's very beautiful. There's like a lot of like sexual queer things that are nice. There's obviously painting and like the story of her life and the pain she went through and all that. I would suggest that movie. Yeah, like if, I haven't if, seen it in a long time. If you're gonna watch a not it's... Christmas movie this week. Make it Frida. Yeah, because it's on. I'm gonna say Netflix. It's great, and like what people may not know about Frida was like, like the political activism, True. especially her husband Diego Rivera, who's just like a big time commie. Oh yeah, and, and like, like it's not just like an artist. It's not. It's not just like an artist biopic. Yeah, it's like a in the context of. of the the social struggles at the time and everything else and there's like there's stuff about her life that i knew but i didn't really know the nitty-gritty of like i knew she was she was like crippled for most of her life had a lot of health problems but i didn't realize it started so early in her life like the trolley accident happened when she was like late teen Mm -hmm. early 20 she also like slept with trotsky which i didn't know like i knew they had met each other but i didn't know they like lived together for a while and it's a bonkers story she was a heck of a lady yeah oh absolutely Good for her. I agree. Great film. Great film. Whew. So, what's between your turns this week? Um, well, I finished my rereading my favorite book of all time, which I think I mentioned on here when I started, but East of Eden by John Steinbeck. Nice. Um, having finished it again, it is remains my favorite book. That has not changed. It is such a beautiful, wonderful sort of human look it's about sort of trying to persevere through struggle it's about our relationships with our families it's about the way that like capitalist society fucks us and puts us in shitty situations it's about like being able to connect with others who you might not connect with normally it's about like sometimes misguided hope in in things. It's beautiful. It's tragic. Everyone should read it. It is such. It's one. It can feel. It's it's very epic in its scale, but also very focused in its scale because it's about just like a small handful of people and looks very intimately at their experiences over multiple generations. Um, also, there's someone who you know as a little girl murders her parents so it's got some juicy salacious shit there's adultery there's intrigue whorehouses the whole criminals it's got it all so don't don't let don't worry that it's like not engaging because it's got some cool shit you know you know what they say a lot about like the classics of literature there's not enough salacious bullshit going on yeah that's what I'm here for Steinbeck knew that you know like Christmas Carol fine book nothing there is no crime no cuckoldry exactly no no children murdering parents deep shame exactly (laughs) a man who just doesn't want to give his employees some coal that's um so after reading that I picked up uh another Steinbeck classic that I have not yet read and that is the grapes of wrath ah and I honestly didn't know much about it going in. I knew it was, like, Dust Bowl family. Um, 
so far it, it's a great book. Huh. I can tell I'm like, oh yeah, this is a super important, wonderful book. Um, it is much more, it seems like it's going to be much more explicitly about capitalism and that, that being the theme of there are these poor farmers who now they've been farming for generations, had the house and now the bank, now they're in debt and the bank comes in and seizes their house and it like paints sort of this monstrous, like, describes it as a monster this sort of like invisible corporate pressure that you can't see you can't pinpoint the farmers are like all right who do they like point the gun at the guy who's like hey you got to get out of this house he's like i'm just following orders right and it's like well all right who are you following orders from it's like no one the bank it's a whole company um and it's very it's painful to read because this shit steinbeck's right on the money and it's it's as relevant today i was gonna say just like with you know everything shutting down and having to close that seems very poignant yeah just with the way you know yeah the world's so it's it's bleak um it's less at least so far just like makes me feel wonderful and i can't wait to keep reading as east of eden uh but it's trying to be a different thing it's trying to be more about the specific facet of life um and it's great uh, beyond that, I, I also watched a Christmas movie, ah. a new one for me, and that would be um, Harold and Kumar's 3D Christmas. And you know what? What a lovely little treat that was. Honestly, I'm amazed with how well all of the Harold and Kumar movies have aged. Yeah, like, I have Considering the content, you know, pretty good. Yeah. Like, they don't really lose a lot of... Yeah, they're, if you don't Let's... know, they're juvenile... <laughs> It's, it's, you know, it's irreverent, juvenile um, comedy in so many ways. It's yeah. all about drugs, and Neil Patrick Harris is just, like, a monstrous piece of shit version of himself. I do love... Is he in all of them? Yeah. Okay, I love the... Yeah. <laughs> the idea of him just being a monster. Yeah, and that, that continues in this one. Uh, um, it's Harold and Kumar. It is, in some ways, very stupid, but it is it is very sweet and endearing, and, like... They, they did like the fact that they made it a Christmas movie, like allowed them to like keep the Harold and Kumar goodness, but sort of add this new sweet holiday sort of themes throughout. And it's really about the, the rekindling of their, of their falling out because they've gone very different ways in life. Um, and they're brought back together and it, it was, I liked it a lot. I oh. thought it was very sweet and dumb and fun. Um, yeah. And uh, I'm sure I watched some other shit, but whatever. Yeah, you know, don't matter much. Yeah. So, what now? Um, I guess it's time for that little dern. Oh, isn't it? <laughs> Let's see. So, Alice doesn't live here anymore. Alice discovers that the boys are going to Carol with their problems instead of her. Thinking that the family no longer needs her, she invents a story about a sick aunt in Seattle. When Marsha and Jan overhear Alice on the phone to a friend and discover the ruse, they tell their parents. The family diffuses a plan to get Alice to stay... The family devises a plan to get Alice to stay and are successful. No, Nick. I... Yes. <laughs> Go, go ahead. I'm, I will field questions now. I um, So there are two things yes. 
that there's one thing I knew about this film. Yes. Besides the the fact that Laurie Dern was in it, and that's that it's a Martin Scorsese film. Yes. It sounds to me like you're describing the plot of an episode of The Brady Bunch. Well, here's a fun fact. There is an episode of The Brady Bunch. In fact, the fourth episode ever, and it is called Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. And this debuted... Like, six years before the movie, Alice Oh, doesn't... that's the original? That's the... It... Okay. Is there a book? Did it take its title I from... I didn't look that up. <laughs> um, but... So this this was titled this in advance of the movie by almost a decade. Wow. And I think that could just be a coincidence. Um, it's too good a title, though. It was... It seems... Um... It seems it's not based on a book. It, it was just written by a guy who also wrote um, Mommy Dearest, if you're familiar with that. Oh, really? Which is like a very like John Waters adjacent, like ridiculous Joan Crawford movie. But yeah, um, so this is a movie. I'm going to have to say, uh, I lost a not insubstantial amount of blood. I took a very big pill. And I had a uh, Manhattan when I watched this. I also could not take notes because my left hand, which is my dominant hand, is now gimped for at least the next week. So I'm just going to do my best to retell the story of this movie. Here we go. So, New Mexico. We have Alice Hyatt, played by Ellen Burstyn. That's a name. She This, this film came out in 1974. That was one year after she had won the Oscar for The Exorcist. Uh, she, of yes, course, is the mother in The Exorcist, as well as many other roles. We also have Chris Christopherson in this movie, famous Ooh. singer-songwriter. Um, we have Jodie Foster as a young girl. Diane Ladd as a younger woman. And, of course, a baby Laura Dern. I believe this is her first uncredited role, like, ever. Like, this was the first time she was in a movie. Is she a literal baby? She is... A child? Actually, I might have lied. White Lightning might have come before this. It's like White Lightning and this are her earliest, earliest roles, where yeah. she was just like a baby and she's only there because her mom was there. And I love the idea that like Diane Ladd just probably didn't want to get a babysitter, and that's why she was in like a few movies as a toddler. Mm, I don't know if that tracks because it was the seventies. You didn't need a babysitter. That's true. You just, just gave your kid a box of matches and locked him in the bathroom. Exactly. Here, honey, we'll be back later. Uh, so we're in New Mexico. Um, Alice's husband is killed in a accident and she says, you know what? I'm going to take my son and I'm going to sell all my stuff and I'm going to move back to my hometown of Monterey, California, and I'm going to become a singer songwriter as I had always wanted to. Is he Chris Christopherson? No, he, Chris Christopherson will come up later. Her husband is just some bloke. I don't even think he's not like, he's just gone. He died. First thing he's dead. So she sells, she sells all his things and moves back to Monterey and says, I'm going to be a songwriter. Because she used to be one, but then she gave it up. Oh, she wants to be the songwriter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. She wants to be a songwriter. She gave it up. Right off the bat, this just feels like some sort of reworking of, like, um, the movie that they made 20 times. What was that called? They just remade it. Uh, Starsborn. Starsborn. This yeah. just feels like some ripping of that, but, like, early enough that the most recent previous version of it was probably in like the early 60s so nobody was like that's that weird movie they've made 14 times um basically they get like halfway there and they run out of money so they have to stop in phoenix arizona which seems incredibly sad that she sold like all of her possessions and she could only get from like new mexico to arizona is this a modern retelling of grapes of wrath i get like 
how how poor do you have to be to like not have gas money to get from Arizona to California? Like, I feel like the trip realistically is like three tanks of gas, maybe four. Let's say four. New Mexico to to Monterey. Monterey's in NorCal, but yeah, if you can't even cross I mean, the border, yeah, come on. if you can't even make it to Needles. And back then, gas cost like a nickel a gallon or yeah. something. Like, come on. So she gets there, and then she goes to like this grungy bar, and she meets Ben, who... Let me just double check here. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Ben is just some dude, and he runs like this shitty bar, and he's like... She comes in, and she's like, I want a job. And he's like, he's like spitting in a glass and cleaning it. And he's like, ah, we don't need no waitresses. And she says, I'm a singer. And then she sings. She's pretty good. Um, they start to form a sexual relationship. Because, you know, he's, he's like Sam. He's a boyish, a puckish young bartender who's good with the women. And then uh, so <laughs> he's also married. So as you can imagine, that goes very poorly. Um... Sorry, I'm just, like, re-looking at notes here. And then, like, Ben, the bartender, breaks into Alice's apartment while his wife is there confronting her and, like, physically assaults his wife in front of Alice for trying to, like, fuck up his side chick. Trying to, I don't know. It's <laughs> it's a whole thing. And Alice is like, okay, I'm gonna leave. And she does. So she takes her son and leaves town. Um, she spent, like, all the money she made on new clothes, so she has to delay her journey to the West Coast again, and accepts a job in Tucson, Arizona, as a waitress, where she can accumulate some more cash. Um, we are still not up to Chris Christopherson yet. We meet Mel, who owns the diner she works at. Um, hmm. Of course, in the diner is where we meet Laura Dern. She's just a sitting with her mom at the diner because you know it's like a you know tucson arizona the diners are family affairs it's i love tucson diane lad comes in and has a has a smoke and a pancake and it's a whole little thing i've I been stayed to... at a weird hostel in tucson with my family when i was a child i i've been to phoenix i don't think i've been to tucson I'm, i've probably been through tucson though anywho Okay, so she's working there, a bunch of stuff happens. Then she meets David, is a divorced local rancher, played by Chris Christopherson, of course, and they're they're attracted immediately, and like the first day she works there, they meet, and they just they start to hit it off. And David basically is like, Oh, I need to get cool with your kid, because like that'll show that I care. But like not in a dick way, like he's like, Oh, you have a kid, I want to be involved with that, and like so you know. There's a lot of scumbag boyfriends to single moms who probably just, like, you know, give the kid, like, a box of matches and lock them in the bathroom. <laughs> they like, yeah, I'm here for your mom, not you. <laughs> and, uh, and Alice is hesitant to get involved with Chris Christopherson, which makes sense, because, you know, her last, her last travel boyfriend had a wife yep. <laughs> who was beaten up in front of her. Um, but, you know, it starts to, he starts, David is, like, being a father figure to Tommy, the son, so things are going well. Um, sorry, I'm just trying to look up a character name. Oh, um, Tommy also has made a friend in the town who is described as a wisecracking, shoplifting, ripple guts. I'm glad you're also using the same notes I have. Audrey, who plays, of course, is played by a young Jodie Foster. Glad she's in this. This is... Classic Scorsese. Now, the second film with a young Jodie Foster we've talked about recently. Of course, she was in... Girlfriends? Is that what that was called? 
I think so. She was in that movie that where she was a teenager, a rough and tumble LA teenager. Now yeah. she's a rough and tumble Tucson teenager. Yeah. So, and this is before Taxi Driver. Yes, this is. Okay. And she's like, you know, an older kid, a little rough and tumble, and her mom's a prostitute. So you know, she's a good friend to have. Yeah, and then in Taxi Driver, she's that same character exactly. where she, she is a prostitute. She continues later. this canon and becomes a prostitute in New York. Yeah. So, you know, she made it to the East Coast. That's fun. Okay. Um, so, basically, Alice and David start to, like, really form a relationship. They're falling in love. Um... <laughs> Sorry. I'm just, I... I did watch this movie, but... Nick was on a lot of quaaludes. Yes. It is just more concise for me to basically repeat the Wikipedia, (laughs) as I'm sure many podcasters have done in their weakest moments. Um, Yes, I will be donating to Wikipedia this evening. Um, So, basically, David is like, you know, being a father figure, disciplining Tommy, not unjustly. He's a little bratty because he's been hanging out with prostitute lady. And Alice is like, "Mm, I don't know if I like that, but they make it up, they... Move to Monterey. David sells the ranch. In the end, Alice decides to stay in Tucson, though, coming to the conclusion that she can become a singer anywhere. Which is fair, because I don't think Monterey, California is like, you know, the recording capital of the West Coast. (laughs) Like, she can be a shitty lounge singer in any (laughs) middle-sized Western United States town. I mean, it was a good movie. I enjoyed it. It was watchable. It was an early Martin Scorsese film. Of course, not many people know that um, Weird Al has been making movies under the name Martin Scorsese <laughs> for many years, since the 70s, in fact. And that was my little, that's my little uh, secret fact about Martin. Oh. Martin does not exist. That's, He's I but know. a figment in the machine. He's a Kaiser Soze created by Weird Al Yankovic to do his, what he really loves, which is making gritty Italian films. Yeah, so he's sort of a Tony Clifton. Of... Yeah. Of Weird Al. Does does Weird Al slash Martin Scorsese make an appearance in this movie, as he often does? He, in fact, does not, unfortunately. Oh, oh he I lied. cameoed as a customer. Yes, he was a customer in the diner. And Laura Turn appears eating an ice cream cone in the diner. I think it's unfair that they refer to her as future actress Laura Dern. It's true. She's a current because actress. Because she's in the movie. Also, do you think it's an Arizona thing that diners have ice cream cones? No. It seems so odd to me, like a diner having cones. I, f- I feel like I would expect a glass dish in my diner experience. Arizona does have a lot of quirks, but I don't... I don't know that that would be one. Arizona do be quirky. Do you know their driver's licenses don't expire for 50 years? Because they hate what? the government? I enjoy that. Yeah. That's so also... So, like, you can... You're, like... If you get a bad license picture License you get as a license. teenager... Damn. ...is gonna be valid until you're in your 60s. So, basically, you need to get maybe two licenses if you live in Arizona. Ever. For your whole yeah. life. Whew. That's a... That's a doozy right there. Um, as far as Academy Awards, um, or awards in general, this won Ellen Burstyn Best Actress. Uh, Is that two years in a row? I believe so. I might have misspoke in the fact that she won for The Exorcist, but she was at least nominated. Oh, she won She's nomination in- for The Exorcist, won for this. So, you know, she, she had a good, a good run there. 
Um, this also was nominated for the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival. <laughs> I am I'm very French, if you couldn't tell by my pronunciations. And yeah. Did it pretty- so was it good? It was pretty good. Like, of the Martin Scorsese films I've seen, I, I feel like I have not seen a lot of the older ones. Like, I feel like I probably... This would be one of his earliest films, really, if you think about it. I've seen Taxi Driver, and then I feel like the next one probably would have been, like, when he gets into, like, the gangstery things. Uh, well, he did mean, mean Streets before this. True. I don't know if I've seen Mean Streets, though. I think yeah. I've seen clips of it for a class, but I don't think I've seen the whole thing. I've... I'm in the same boat. So, um, yeah, so he, Taxi Driver followed this up. What was his next one? Raging Bull in 1980, my personal favorite. Oh, I, not, never I mind. Have... Casino is probably... Ooh, Casino's a good one. I have not seen Raging Bull either. Oh, Raging Bull is a delight. Hmm. I've heard good things. Who's knocking at my door? Oh, Boxcar Bertha. <laughs> Cape Fear I have not seen. Cape Fear is a to. very good movie. The the 91? Oh yes. That I would say that's probably one of my favorite films of his. One of my least favorite is probably Shutter Island. <laughs> I never saw, but I know I know the twist. And like, yeah, I just remember I'm being not compelled. Odd. <laughs> Considering all his movies, it seems so odd that he would make like a weird like ghost prison insane asylum insane yeah. asylum island movie. Like, just do the mobsters, man. Yeah, it's like he made like gritty um gilligan's island (laughs) the movie so yeah i mean it's a good movie i guess what i would have learned from dern is um you can have a sunday on a monday and you you can you can plop that ice cream cone you can eat an ice cream cone in the diner because you know you're a kid your mom's famous also i learned that uh you know have a famous mom get you in yep i mean you know yeah, people think Dern got there on her own. She didn't. Exactly. I mean, she was only, she classic was only, case of nepotism. She was only one of two young female stars of this film that went on to break it big. <laughs> the, yeah, she's a regular Ivanka Trump, and we can all thank Marty for that. Yeah, Marty Scorsese. <sighs> so yeah, that's that's the tea, I guess. I don't know. There it is. Yeah, I'm gonna next week. I promise to. Take notes and watch my movie better. <laughs> what a... movie, dare I ask? Well, we have an ultimatum here, Maxwell. Oh. As you know, Christmas is but two weeks, but one week away. A week and three days. So I propose next week we do a Christmas special. <gasps> ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. Happy crisis. Merry Chrysler. And, and what what do you propose for this Christmas special? Well, you had brought up an idea, and I don't remember it very well. <laughs> so if you could retell our listening public what your idea for our end of the year wrap up was, um, I I felt we could perhaps um make make our own personal lists of perhaps our five favorite Derns thus far, um. And or our five favorite um, films or television of the decade. Because we have, in fact, we're ending a decade here. My God, already. Um, but that, that's, that's New Year's. That's not Christmas. So if, there, if you, in fact, you, True. a celebratory boy, as your frightening Christmas sweater. Um, 
I think my Christmas sweater is quite charming, but... It's charming in its horror. Yeah, that's fair. So perhaps we want, want to do something more thematically Christian. Well, it is quite unfortunate that I don't think Laura Dern is really in any Christmas things. Yeah. Especially with what we have left to work with. Stop that. Um, so to my knowledge, we have not watched any specifically Christmas turn yet. Is that correct? Yeah, not Like, that I can't I can even think call. of a movie that, like, passively mentions Christmas, really. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I mean, I guess Little Fockers, that, that's Christmassy. Don't make me watch Little Fockers. Oh, come on. Okay, so, yeah. I mean, we could just watch an arbitrary Christmas movie. We could. What? What's a Christmas movie you haven't seen in a while? Um, not not Harold and Kumar's 3D Christmas. Darn, I was, I was really looking forward to making you watch that again. We could do um, one of the great um, romantic dramedies of our time. We could do Love Actually. There's a lot to unpack there. There's a lot of, a lot of faces. Sure, we could one degree from Laura Dern. In fact, I know right off the top of my head that we could, at least with um, Alan Rickman. I almost said um, Alan Turning, and I don't know why. (laughs) Alan Turning, famous homosexual mathematician, autistic man. Cryptographer, war hero. Did you see Castrato? Just recently, they found one of the Nazi Enigma machines, like at the bottom of the ocean somewhere. Like they they clearly had just dumped it off, like in their rush to undo all of their war crimes at the end. Oh, you had to hide the machine. They just found it. They were like, "Oh, cool, nice." Yeah, that was if you've ever seen U five seven one featuring a a youngish Mark Wahlberg, tells the the story of um, capturing. An Enigma machine from a German submarine, and without that, Turing never could have cracked the code. I have never heard of that movie. Interesting. Yeah, I probably wasn't good. I do have to say, I did enjoy the imitation game quite a good bit. That of course. I haven't seen it, but Alan Turing's story is so deeply tragic. It really is. And fascinating. Not that I'd like to give too much credit to the cocaine man who wrote West Wing. Aaron Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin. Good. I don't like giving him credit either. I do, as a young lad, I did very much enjoy the Steve Jobs movie that he wrote. And of course, there's a small segment of that where... One of the Apple advertising things of the 90s was, like, having famous faces with basically, like, an Apple logo. And one of those, of course, was Alan Turing. Oh, and there's really? a scene where he's, like, backstage with... I, it's either his assistant or, like, Wozniak or somebody. And he, like, points up at this enormous poster of Alan Turing. And he basically says, like, this man changed computers and societies we know it. And no one knows him. Yeah. And, of course, now people sort of know him. So. I love the idea of his assistant or Steve Wozniak. There's, <laughs> like, that was the hierarchy there. There is a scene where there's, like, two Steves. And it happens over and over where he's like, we gotta... Like, his assistant's like, Steve is here for you. And he's like... Okay, a little more specific. <laughs> uh, we love... We love an asshole. Anyhow. So, uh, Love Actually? Um, let's, let's mull it over. Okay. We will watch a Christmas movie. And we will be back next week, and we might just do a little wrap-up then, too, because, yeah. you know, we deserve a week off. Yeah. It's the holidays. Yeah. It's, it's very unlike 
me and you to take a week off for no reason, so let's do it for a reason this time. Exactly. Well, me and Max will be back in one week with your something or another Laura Dern, Laura Dern, Laura Dern. Oh, one last bit while we're talking um, code breaking. Oh! Did you hear? I did! The Zodiac Killer's codes have been cracked. They cracked by just hobbyists, which I love. Yeah, oh, I've... I've like explored like the the cryptography subreddit a bit. Love that. I took a cryptography class in college and it's cool as hell. If you're a nerd and you like that stuff, yeah. that's how I learned about touring. Um and even that, even the hobbyists, I'm like, I'm in way over my head. Like <laughs> this is all the hobbyists are basically all using supercomputers. <laughs> Um, so I'm glad they did it. Apparently it wasn't that exciting. They were hoping it would reveal who it was or some nah. such thing. Nah. I just love the idea of an old man in a funeral home shuffling around just mumbling about how they broke his code. And the <laughs> nurses are like, let's go to bed. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> let's go to bed, you monster. <laughs> evil, evil man that tortured the world. We'll get you yet, Zodiac. What if D.B. Cooper was also the Zodiac killer? Yeah, probably. There you go. It all makes sense now. <laughs> it all checks out. It all makes no sense at all now. I just want, like, the Golden State Killer, like, that old dude they finally nailed to, like, just admit everything. Like, I was a Zodiac Killer. I was D.B. Cooper. I was Dahmer. The, uh, the Chicago 7th. That was me. <laughs> <laughs> New York 9. Me. Central Park 5. That me. Friend of mine. <laughs> me. That was, that was there. <sighs> I punched Rick Moranis. <laughs> Oh, no. That was mean. And the man who did it was captured and charged with a felony, as he should be. Do not harass actors that leave the game. (laughs) He did what he had to to raise his sons. And he'll probably be back. For for a terrible Honey, I Shrunk. Actually, I think that is what he's coming back for, to be in a new Honey, I Shrunk the Kids movie. Also, Harrison Ford is coming back one more time to be... Indiana Jones. What? Yes, Indiana Still? Jones 5 coming out within the next five years. Do we have to? We do. And at least it's gonna... I'm not happy they're making another one, but at least it's him. And he basically said... Is Karen said, Allen gonna be in it? I don't know. It doesn't really matter. Probably. Yeah. I don't know. I don't care. I'm just happy there's gonna be one more, and I'm happy that hopefully it will die. <laughs> he, because he basically said, I do not want anyone to play this character in the future. Which I mean, you know, he he Too seems bad. to be pretty consistently killing off all of his world characters, which I enjoy in a, in a man. Oh, that's fair. He killed off Blade Runner. He killed off uh, Han Solo. Yeah. If he dies at the end of this one, I'm going to be really upset and also. Then they'll old. just make blockbuster prequels. I mean, they did have a young Indiana Jones show at one point. Oh uh, yeah. He, he didn't protest that, but then again, those were different times. Way before Chris Pratt was a person. Yeah, isn't, yeah, just make Chris Pratt in the end. No, that was basically the thing oh, that really? he was being interviewed about. Like, I don't want some funny pretty boy taking up my throne. I'm dying on top. Eh, you don't get to, Harrison. He's gonna crash his plane. He's gonna make again. another terrible Indiana Jones film. Ah, <sighs> wow. Well, we laughed, we cried, and I think we learned something today. Yeah, don't watch Wilson. Don't watch Wilson. And don't... Trust. Don't trust. Don't trust.